0: We don't have any tradition for a Christmas Day service. It was suggested by someone sitting in the middle, kind of over on this side, that there would be a, a, a race of the two people on crutches this morning as a new Christmas Day tradition up the aisles. Um, that's not bad. Uh, last night we talked about a few traditions that we have uh, around. Our family has a, a not a long tradition, but on Christmas Eve, usually when we travel, we listen to a radio show Go to see my folks live in Yakima, and it's a it's an old 1970s, well 1950s story about a pilot getting lost over England, and a a shepherd that's the name of the story comes and guides him down. Kind of a mysterious Christmas Eve story. The tradition is my wife and I listen to it, and our daughter does this. <laughs> that's part of our tradition. Um, and so this morning, I wanted to think about a little bit, uh, kind of. I was that kid who always said why when I was little, kind of still do. Wanted to know why do we do things? Why do we do these things here? And wanted to look at Christmas traditions here. And there's a lot. And if you uh, take your news, depending on how you get it, you probably saw a lot of Christmas traditions. One that kept running around um, on Facebook was the candy cane, about why the candy cane is shaped the way it is. And all of that related to Christmas is all fictitious, It's not a bad teaching tool, as far as holding up a candy cane and saying, this could represent that, but they didn't create it to do that. And so I wanted to kind of dig in a little bit. And as you get into it with Christmas to find out some of those, where did it come from and why do we do what we do, you get into myth, and you get into legend, and then you get into Facebook stuff. And trying to put that all together and get to the the sift it a little bit is kind of fun. Um, Christmas trees, stockings, Christmas carols, things that we do, all have a root somewhere going back in history to different times and different things. And a lot of things we do, and we don't know why. And when you're a little kid, you say, why do we do that? Why do we hang up stockings? And people go, I don't know, it's just what you do on Christmas. It's kind of what we do. Well, there's stories behind most of it. And I, I have to pause, because I want to do, you know, talk about the Christmas traditions, and we're going to get into the word a little bit. But most of the traditions we're talking about are only applicable if you've got uh, your your tradition or your culture is Northern European. Um, it it kind of struck me that most of the things that we do in North America are go back to Europe, and they are all kind of Northern things. If you were raised in a, a tropical climate, none of this will make a lot of sense. And a lot of the things we do, like if you know, hanging up stockings by a fireplace, and you lived in South America. That would be very illogical. If you lived in Australia, it would all be backwards. It would be summertime. And you're having Christmas in the summer, and how weird would that be? But we're not. We're here. It's cold outside, and so it all makes sense. Start with the Christmas tree. There we go. Stars shining through an evergreen tree at night. We light up our Christmas trees to represent that. That goes back a long time. Bringing trees inside... Old, old tradition. It goes back before we had history. But as far as in the church and here, it really relates to Martin Luther. Martin Luther was going for a walk outside Eiselbahn in Germany, and he was meditating on his walk, walking through the trees at night, looking at the stars shining through evergreen boughs. And he was struck by the everlasting love of God in the green, the the trees that don't get brown in the winter, And he was struck by the the love of God shining down in the form of stars. And he thought, I like that. And he wanted to bring it inside. And genuine, unretouched photograph. Uh, Martin Luther is credited with being the first person to bring trees inside the house as a Christian symbol of God's everlasting love and God's uh, love shining down from heaven to us. That's why we have... Christmas trees with lights, and those are pretty universal in North America. Anywhere you go, you'll see people having Christmas trees and lights. They might not be Christian, but that's where it comes from. At least that's the story. There's an alternative version that Martin Luther was out for a walk in the woods at night. He was looking up, staring at the stars, looking at the stars, going through the boughs, and bam! He ran into a tree, and he said, you know, they should put lights on that thing. That could be the story, too. Either way, we've got these wonderful, nice little tradition of uh, bringing in lights on trees. And uh, there's pretty good evidence that that's actually a pretty good story with Martin Luther. And yeah, Germans, I mean, every culture has its own little set of traditions. The Germans have the thing with spiders at Christmas on the trees. And that's where we get the idea of tinsel from. And there's older... Versions of the Yule log and where it comes from and the giving of gifts and then all extends through cultures But I really want to get kind of the root of all that the bigger thing the message of hope and talk a little bit about Why we gather? Why do we do this at this time of year and what's going on here? Why do we celebrate Christmas at all? I mean even the word christmas Mass celebration the celebration of Christ the mass of Christ Why do we do that? as a church Well, for the first 300 years of the church, we didn't. There was no celebration for Jesus' birthday. They didn't celebrate. They celebrated a lot of other things. And they would celebrate Jesus, obviously, but they would celebrate when the Magi came to visit Mary. They celebrated when Mary first discovered she was carrying the Son of God. They celebrated. I mean, you could celebrate anything, really, if you think about Jesus' life. Maybe we should have a big celebration at the first day he went to temple. Um they just wasn't done. People in the 300s said the only people who celebrate birthdays are Egyptians and pagans. And so the church didn't do this. They celebrated Epiphany, and they had other things that went on, but we just didn't do that here. And then at about 176 AD, so a long time ago, somebody said we should figure out when Jesus was born, like the date. And so they did studies, and it's, it's not Really difficult to nail down to maybe a, a period of time, but if you look at historical events in the Bible, if you look at lambing and when uh, that goes on in the Middle East, if you look at the Jewish celebrations, if you look at the Roman calendar and when they took censuses in Roman times, you arrive at pretty clearly a spring date for the birth of Jesus, probably march ish that 's pretty close. So why are we celebrating it now? Well, Emperor Constantine, 336 AD, declared Jesus was born on the 25th of December. That's that. And in the 1500s, we had a Pope, Gregory, who was in charge of calendars, along with being in charge of the church, said that this is the calendar we're going to follow, and it was codified. It was put permanently in place that Jesus... Was born on the twenty fifth of December, and that's when we're going to celebrate it, and that's how it went on. But that's the short answer. Why do we do it now? Okay, we get that we should celebrate Jesus' birth; that kind of makes sense in the church. But why in December? Why did uh, Why did Constantine say this is when we're going to do it? And there's really two reasons. One is he was Constantine. One to co-opt pagan culture. There's always been celebrations. At this time of year, throughout the kind of the, the northern European culture, they'd have festivals. The Romans had Saturnalia. Uh, the uh, Nordic and uh, Germanic tribes celebrated Yule. And there were these solstice festivals for the pagan cultures where they'd worship the sun. That all took place here. And the Constantine might have said, you know what? We're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to put new meaning on old things and say we're going to celebrate Jesus' birth at this time. And that makes sense. But that's maybe not why it, it fits so well. There's something in us that it makes sense to celebrate Christmas now, not in the spring. I don't know if you've ever thought of that before. Why? why does it make sense to do it now? It feels right. It's cold. It's this. It's that. Well, to do that, we need to go look at two points. Why does Christmas fit? Why do we do Christmas now? And part one is a couple verses, and part two is some facts, so let me give you a couple of verses first. Uh, if you want to look this up, Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to do an Old Testament and a New Testament. We're going to be very classically uh, traditional here tonight, today. Ecclesiastes 3, um, verses 11 and 12. He, God, has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. So God has set eternity in our hearts. God's eternal love, His eternal plan, shining down, Christmas tree kind of idea there a little bit. And then if you want to flip to John, Gospel of John, chapter 7, right down near the end, verse 37. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Innermost being. So these two verses, one, setting eternity in your heart, and two, innermost being. Those are kind of linked, and I just want to put those together. First off, quickly, eternity, infinity. He set a sense of infinity in your heart. Now, we can't really get our heads around forever. What is infinity? What is everlasting? But we can get a sense of it. And then we have this idea that your heart, your innermost being, and that phrase in the, the verse out of John talks about who you really are on the inside, your soul, or um, the actual word talks about your empty place. It's the, the hole in your heart. And the title for this, when I was preparing this, was the idea of, you might have heard this before, a God shaped hole in your heart. That everybody has that. We're designed, we're created, we're built with an area that God will fit in our hearts. And I always picture kind of like an outline of a cross and that Jesus would kind of plug into that and it would make sense. But everybody celebrates this thing at Christmas time before Jesus was on the earth, there were celebrations at this time of year that I would say were influenced by the shape of our heart, the the God-shaped hole in our heart. Even if it's not full of God, it still influences what we do. And that's the part two of this, this idea that we're built, we're created with a sense of eternity in this God-shaped hole in our innermost being. And then I want to just talk about facts here a little bit. And there are things that you and I don't think about very much because we live in a modern world. We have recorded history that goes back maybe 4,000 years. Obviously, humans have been around before there was recorded history. There's a lot of grunting, a lot of scratching. But if you think about the span of since humans have been on the planet Earth, let's call it six, 7,000 years, it's only in the last 200 years that it's what we think of as normal. People living in cities, people having heat, people having sanitation, water, that kind of thing. Most of human history, like this much of it, 90% let's say, it was like this. Every December, the sun would start to fade. It would get lower in the sky. It would come up later, it would go down sooner. Everything around you that grew started to turn brown, it died. Animals disappeared. It got cold. It got dark. And it stayed dark. And you didn't know what was going to happen. It was nasty. December meant death. Winter meant death. And it all goes back to Adam. And when Adam sinned, and that DNA, the sin nature, became part of who we are as humans, we had to work for things. We had to work to create crops to eat. And if you didn't work hard enough, you didn't eat. And when winter came, you and your family were in trouble. If you didn't stour up enough firewood in the fall, you were going to get cold. You were going to die in the winter. Winter was not something to look forward to. Winter was something to be avoided. Winter was something you prepared for. And in our modern world, where we have cities and we have power and light and heat and we can heat our homes in different ways, we're, we're very removed from that. But for most of human history, winter was scary. And the celebrations, whether it was the Romans or the pagans or the Germanic tribes, was a response to that. Not, let's, they were praying to make it through the winter. They were asking God to save their child who was sick. They were asking to see their family make it through the winter. Because if you were old, winter was scary. You might get pneumonia. You might get the flu. You wouldn't know what it was. You just you got sick and died. Winter was harsh. In the, the words of Thomas Hobbes, life was solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and harsh. Life in the state of nature without cities was very difficult. And man was humble. Because we knew we weren't in control of our environment. There were bears out there. There were storms that would come. Things were awful. Every winter was like a mini-apocalypse. Nature was trying to kill us. We were the underdogs for almost all of our history. Humans were the underdogs. And that God-shaped hole in our hearts influenced our behavior. Because what was humans' response to all that? Life tries to kill you every December. Our response... Let's have a feast. Let's have a celebration. Let's get everybody together. And it goes across cultures, and it grows across time, that in the winter, you have everybody come together, and you celebrate. And you celebrate with light, and with food, and with family, and with friends, and you all gather together. Because you didn't know if you were going to see them in the spring. This might be the last time you're all together. We all get together. And that has nothing to do with evolutionary science. You can, people can talk all you want. But evolutionary, you want to separate. If things get tough, animals go off on their own to die. You don't gather together. But in human culture, our response to tough times is to get together and celebrate with light. Hiker goes missing. Search parties are organized. A disaster hits worldwide. What do people do? They come together. Somebody in our community gets sick. We throw fundraisers. Winter comes. And the God-shaped hole in our heart influences our behavior. And when it gets cold and nasty, we instinctively pull together to be together as a family, to put on lights, to make things brighter because the sun is not shining. For thousands and thousands of years, we knew we were not in control of our environment and our response because of what our hearts, the way we're created, goes against every instinct, and yet we throw a celebration. We get a bunch of food together, and we rejoice and do good, as it says in Ecclesiastes, because we have a God-shaped heart. It's the natural response of humans in this to rejoice, to be glad, to get together. And even though it's winter, and even though nature's trying to kill us desperately, we still like to get together and celebrate one another. And so even today, as Christians, we have a different understanding of light and the sun, Uh, One of the early theologians uh, back during the time of Constantine said, we don't worship the sun the way that pagans do. We worship him who created it. And as we gather, we have this special meaning. But even worldwide, there'll be families gathering today that have nothing. They won't ever grace a church. But there's something in their heart that calls them together when it gets cold. And in the bleak and the dark and the dangerous time, we appreciate our family. We rejoice in our families. We do good with our families. As Christians, we have a heavenly family we're a part of. We have a church family we're a part of. And we have our kin. We're all a part of that. And we celebrate because we don't know how many more of these we're going to get together. It's winter. And on some level, we understand that winter's kind of scary still. And our response is to get together and celebrate the light and the sun. And that, to me, is a very, very hopeful thing. That no matter who we are, As a race, as a people, God's influencing us because that's how he built us. He built us with this this God-shaped heart that influences our behavior. And even though things can be awful, there's still a response that is good. And God calls us to that because he built us that way. He built us to respond to him that way. He built us to rejoice when times are tough, to pull together and to celebrate with light. And that connects us. That connects us with our family in heaven. It connects us with our family as believers in different communities. Like Dave was you know, up at a different church. I mean, that, that connects us that way as a community of faith. It connects us in this body, and it connects us with our other family members. And I even think, historically, the species of man that God created were connected to all that, going back to Adam, that even Adam had to deal with this. And In our modern world, It's easy to overlook what winter is, but there's a reason why they picked winter for Christmas, because it fits to celebrate the coming of the light and the truth and the way for us, and it calls us together, and that's why we celebrate Christmas now. God built us that it makes sense to celebrate Christmas now. It's a natural response to tough times is to gather together to rejoice and put on some lights. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray.